This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In an interesting move, Target said that it was going to open a group of smaller stores to focus on reaching younger consumers. In addition, Amazon announced that it was going to be opening convenience stores, small grocery locations, to gain more ground in that segment. Much of this is to have a physical contact and better contact with the consumer, that it also serves their needs. Wharton Marketing Professor Peter Fader joins us here in the studio to talk about this as well. Joining us on the phone, Amanda Nicholson from Syracuse University, Associate Dean and Professor of the Retail Practice there. Amanda, great to have you back on the show with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pete. Great to see you again. Always a pleasure. So are we saying, at least for Target, are we saying smaller is better here? Well, my view is more is better. Okay. Uh, I think just having a bigger footprint, just having more stores and more places, that by itself, as strange as it might sound, is going to get people to, to buy from Target more often, even in the other stores that they go to. Just by having it ubiquitous, it's going to be at the top of people's minds. It's not only going to appeal to young people. That's a good motivation to bring them in. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to uh, increase purchasing among uh, older people and, and all Target buyers as well. Great move. Uh, it's not without its risks, but it has a lot of upside potential. Amanda? I would totally agree. I think, um, you know, the discount, Walmart tried these smaller formats, and I think we could say didn't do so well. I think Target is much better positioned to do this well. I think their brand is a very different brand from Walmart's, and um, I think they could be very successful. And they, they've, they've, they're off to a good start with some of their existing smaller format uh, urban stores. You mentioned risk, Peter. What are some of the the, the kind of the uh, the potential landmines in the road for them? Well, there is the Walmart example. It's, yeah. it's not just a matter of if we build it, they will come. Uh, so there can be issues with with brand fit and just even over, overall corporate fit to run a very different kind of operation. Secondly, it's expensive. They're taking on a lot of overhead costs to do this kind of thing, yeah. and uh, and I think there's no doubt that there's going to be an, an uptick in purchasing. But is it going to be enough of an uptick to justify all the additional expenditure? So. Does this mean any change, Amanda, for the the rather larger Target stores that we have seen dot the uh, the United States over the last few years? Well, I think they're looking at many of those stores in, in as almost like a distribution center model as they move forward. I, I think they are still very viable stores, but the way when they when they move into this smaller store format, which is which is much more um, accepted in in Europe, for example. Um, there's some differences here. So you really have to have an incredibly high turn in merchandise to be profitable when you bring your size down um, to, you know, to under like 40,000 square feet. And so um, they've got to be really good at, at their product selection here, merchandising these small stores and making them individualized to the, to the local target markets and the urban areas they're going into is going to be critical. The trick of this, I guess, Amanda, is the fact that uh, if you look at retail right now, you've got some of the, the bigger, well-known companies that have been closing stores, yet Target is talking opening stores. So, you know, it's kind of against the grain of the industry right now. 
Yeah, maybe, but I think a lot of people are closing stores. If we look at some of the, the larger stores like Macy's that are closing, they're closing because they're, for a lot of reasons, but partly because they're underperforming and the real estate is not in the right places in many yeah. cases, or it's too close to other real estate, or it's too dense in the northeast where the population has been draining going south. Uh, what, what, what Target, I think, is trying to do is saying, uh, we know the growth of the urban population, particularly um, the millennial growth. Um, we, we are tr- more traditionally a suburban uh, retailer. Yeah. How do we get to that urban younger customer? And let me add one other thing, which is uh, with a lot of uh, retailers, it's basically just bringing the same set of merchandise to every location. Yeah. Uh, here, as Amanda said earlier, they're thinking about very different kind of product selection. If, they can, if they're good at customizing the product selection for the geography they're in or the buyers who live around it, they can be very successful instead of the usual one-size-fits-all approach exactly. that others have tried. So for, for those people that uh, you know are going to see these popping up, uh, a, a lot of these locations, will these smaller targets will be in cities, and uh, you know mm-hmm. they end up being like the corner market that uh, that has dotted the you know a lot of big cities over the last 50 to 100 years? Well, it's not exactly a convenience store. Okay. It, it, it will certainly have a lot of overlap with it, yeah. but it's still going to have uh, uh, other items that you wouldn't necessarily see in a convenience store. They might not turn quite as quickly, but things that you might expect to see in a Target. Uh, plus, I think it's, it's going to be a bit more of a destination. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. of the sheer novelty, but I'll speak mm-hmm. for myself. One of these opened up in San Francisco, and I, I made an effort to go in there just out of curiosity. It's not often the case that you're going to uh, go into a store just to see what's new, especially when it's a, a well-known brand like a Target. But the fact that they're trying something that's so bold and different for them is going to attract a lot of attention. Well, then, then because of the fact that Target has to deal with Starbucks anyway, will we see these smaller stores maybe have a Starbucks element to them to add that kind of you know that that sit down, have a cup of coffee, maybe while you're waiting for your uh, your your pharmacy order to be be placed. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That they're yeah. they're not necessarily following the rules of a, of a of a small urban store. They're doing what's best for Target uh, and what's best for the Target customer. They're also going to learn a lot from this. So whether it's mm-hmm. trying different merchandise, whether yeah. it's trying different kinds of retailing. They're going to learn what works and what doesn't, and we're actually going to see some elements of these small stores carrying over back to the big boxes in the suburbs. Yeah, That's yeah. another big difference. Right. I, I guess the, what Peter said, Amanda, a second ago is, is breaking the rules. That's kind of an important uh, statement to bring in here, that necessarily following the rules that have been in place for, for so long is not necessarily a good thing. No, I don't think it is. And I think, like any other uh, organization, um, retailers can get complacent when they get into one model and it works, so they just keep repeating it. Well, there's, you know, the the whole genius of doing things is to figure out a way to change the format, update the format to appeal to new generations of shoppers. And certainly, to to be frank, what targets hit upon, which which they inherently are good at, is, is understanding that there is a somewhat cash-strapped but relatively fashion-oriented customer who lives downtown in lots of large cities yeah. and needs to buy a, a lamp for their bedroom for 20 bucks that really looks nice. That's not an easy thing to do in downtown San Francisco or <laughs> Chicago. Let's face it, right? But these are, these are young people who are doing well, but by virtue of the cost of rent and everything, have, you know, demi- uh, you know, have, they have disposable income, but not a lot. 
but they, they want something that's um, interesting. They don't want the most boring thing in the world. They're not going to schlep out to the suburban mall and look for things. But here on their way home, they can pick up some dinner and they can pick up that lamp, you know, that's well-designed and well-priced and, and, you know, take the elevator up to their apartment. It's a, it's a really interesting format. And let's talk about the spillovers. Uh, so uh, once you have this place downtown uh, that can meet a lot of your needs, uh, these urban folks are going to be that much more inclined once in a while, say once in a quarter, uh, to, to do the big fill-in shopping yeah. trip, yeah. to rent that car and head on out, and they're going to be that much more likely to go to Target. And then there's the other way around, which are the people who live in the suburbs but work in the city, and it's going to be just much more natural for them to, to go into that, that, uh, that urban Target as opposed to some other local store that they might, that they might not know quite as well. Except, except for those of us sitting behind this particular microphone that take the train in every day, and it's a little hard for us to haul the, the lamp out on the train <laughs> every day. But, but I do bring that up because it's interesting they you know in a couple of the locations that they've they've talked about putting these smaller targets downtown philadelphia you mentioned san francisco but one of the other ones is right around penn state university so in a college mm-hmm. atmosphere mm-hmm. kind of similar to what we've seen with amazon they have a place you know as you were just telling me right on the other side of the bridge here on 40th street mm-hmm. here at the university of pennsylvania you know they're trying to kind of capitalize on that college community and so i think this you of course we it's amazing we've gone this far into the conversation without mentioning the big a amazon yeah. working yeah. over all this i think that what target is doing is a really great way to defend their turf against an amazon yeah. not only to uh, have a uh, interesting variety of merchandise to be available, but it's that share of mind. Yeah. Uh, and just to have people see in the big red circles everywhere is, is one very <laughs> effective way to, to crowd out uh, people from automatically buying everything from Amazon. Amanda? I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I don't think you can ever neglect the fact that Target um, is, is a different breed from a Walmart and a different breed from an Amazon. Walmart is a breed um, which was based on low cost and has done an incredible job with that. And Amazon is based on technology and in the the consumer's mind. What Target is really focused for is this, uh, and they used to call it cheap chic. I mean, they they understand how to pull in things at an incredible value which, which have a, a sense of design and look. This was, the, this was the company that launched Michael Graves for, for kitchen accessories, which was one of the boldest things that was ever done. Um, so they understand consumer needs and wants in terms of the aesthetic, and that's their real core, I think. The core of it is what they, what they do better than the other comp- competitors. They understand merchandise and how it ties with core consumers. And to round out the the power, goodness, uniqueness of Target, it's not only at this overall design level, as Amanda said, but it's even at the granular data level. Mm-hmm. The Target is, yeah. is, is making a lot of efforts to tag and track different kinds of, of consumers. So it's not only a matter of knowing which items are going to sell well in which format, but which kinds of people are buying them. Right, uh, And right. so there might be some items that you might not sell a lot of, but we got some valuable customers who expect to see it there. It, it's that kind of customer-centric thinking that really starts to set them apart from a Walmart as well. But it probably also becomes easy for Target to be able to, you know, 
kind of test run certain items in these smaller stores. And if they don't play well, okay, well, we move them back out to the big store and bring something else in new. Or, you know, the, right. the, the availability of switching stuff in and out is is probably pretty pretty simple for, for Target to be able to pull that off. I think it's pretty simple in, in some senses, although always supplying um, stores in inner cities is a much bigger challenge in a supply chain scenario. Okay. However, I think what Target has a better reputation for against many others is that they run their stores with a guest mentality and smaller stores need to be run with a guest mentality just like Peter was saying you can't just duplicate everything and squish it into a smaller space you've actually got to customize it for who your who your customer customers are i think target has the ability as an organization to do that more easily than many other stores how much do you think that, that these stores also will end up being uh, funnels for online purchases and pickups? Well, my view, as I said at the outset, is just creating that kind of mental ubiquity, seeing those red circles yeah. everywhere uh, is going to, uh, by itself, create more kind of omni-channel possibilities. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, there's a greater chance that people will actually use the online channel because of the existence of these stores. All right. So now let's flip to that big A for a second, because Amazon's going to open up uh, their own set of stores to help with their grocery business uh, coming up, which obviously has been a big focus for Amazon over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Peter? Uh, well, it, it, it's wonderful to see what Amazon's doing. Everything they're doing I'm not saying everything turns to gold. That they right. they do have their failures, but a lot of it does. But it also it, it changes the retail landscape for the better of absolutely everyone, except for the deeply entrenched legacy players. Yeah. It's better for the consumers, and in the long run, it's actually better for the retailers as well. They're just teaching uh, just an entirely new rule book with it. So, uh, so we we can dive into the details and talk about these Amazon grocery stores. Eventually, they're going to find their Waterloo, and they're going to yeah. uh, go a step too far. Uh, but I think in the process, uh, whether this particular initiative succeeds or fails, it's going to change the way the grocery retailing works. Amanda? I, I would agree, definitely. And they're, they're driving something which is um, is clearly a need. Uh, how, how we do it profitably with grocery is the big issue, frankly, because the margins are so tight on grocery. So, you know, and everybody has been trained to want everything basically for free by now from Amazon. <laughs> Yeah. So we want everything delivered for free. We want it, you know, so at, at some point you can't keep delivering me a tube of toothpaste on, <laughs> and, on, on the Amazon Prime and not go out of business. So you, you have to find a model where you can do this and, and, and still retain some sort of margin. And, of course, food is very tight on margin. But I, I think they um, are setting, a complete, I agree with Peter, a completely new pace on how we look at the, um, the innovation of retail formats. And, and, and it's, it's wonderful to watch because now things, I think, have exploded in the last three or four years and changed so dramatically. Right. And you have to give them credit for the, for, the, for the organization that really kicked it off. And we're going to see changes that beyond just the locations of stores, mm-hmm. beyond the layouts of the stores, mm-hmm. we're going to start to see more changes to the merchandise that's carried. As we said yeah. uh, the, in the Target example, just being more nimble about what mm-hmm. you carry where and willing to swap things out. So we're going to see more of that. We're even going to see changes with pricing. 
So you look at what Amazon has done in its in its bookstores so far, where they don't even have prices on the shelves. Uh, you have to hold your your uh, your phone up to to see what the prices fat on. I'm not saying they're going to do that specific kind of thing in the grocery stores, but they are going to change the way that people gather price information, the way yeah. that they use it, and what those price levels are. Well, you were talking uh, uh, just a little while ago before we went on about the store that's literally what a couple of blocks from us. What's that store like? What does it all have? And and, and the services that it provides. Yeah, for folks who don't know, there's an Amazon store uh, right here on, on Penn's campus, mm-hmm. and it's quite remarkable. Uh, if you order anything before noon, it will be there waiting for you by 7 p.m. It's it's Amazing. it's incredible. You you walk in and you just uh, they they uh, email you uh, some kind of QR code. You walk in, you scan have it scan. It. Yeah. A, a door pops open and there's your merchandise. You don't have to deal with a person at all. And then sure. on the other side of it, when you have uh, products that you want to return, and of course Amazon is so wonderful, they make it so easy. You just bring your returned items to the counter and you walk away. And by the time I get back to my office, I already have the email saying that the return's been processed. Mm-hmm. So it makes it so much easier to buy. It makes it so much easier to turn. It is just turning the retail world on its head. And Amanda, to be able to have that element going forward, I, I mean, I would think that a lot of those legacy grocery stores have to be just quaking in their shoes to be able to have that kind of of success in terms of customers being able to get their, their entities, but being able to turn them back in if they have to. Yes, I think so. I think grocery is a little different from, from general merchandise. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that's a little different. But I, and I think one thing that we, I think there was a, a sort of an idea maybe 10 or 15 years ago that sooner or later we're not going to have any physical stores because everything's going to be online and everything's going to be delivered. And I mean, you, you heard people talking like this. Clearly, that's not actually the case. Because Amazon would not be opening up stores if they, you know, if they would not open up a physical environment if they didn't need to. Physical environments are, are, are an overhead, they're cost, and they're very cost intensive. But what we actually are finding, I know that working with my students, that Gen Z and millennials actually are very, it's very important for brands for them to have a physical location rather than solely sell online. They hmm. always use both channels. That's how they. That's how they operate, and they've been doing this for as long as they can remember, since as long as they've been shopping. So it's. I think this idea that it's one or the other is is completely um, misconstrued. Now it's a combination. How you make the combination work, which is what Amazon is testing, is is kind of their brilliance. I, I guess for a lot of the the the, uh, the old brick and mortar grocery locations uh, that are making that adjustment right now, it's still a little bit of a feeling out process. Yes. Well, it's those who are failing to make those adjustments. Because really, grocery standard grocery retailing has not changed. No. It's really the same business model. It's the same layout. It's the same um, (laughs) uh, uh, ignorance of who customers are and (laughs) Mm -hmm. and what they're worth. So, and again, some of those firms are going to be hurt by both of these initiatives that we're talking about here. But it's going to be really, really good in the long run. Right. And I think we're – honestly, I think this is one area in retail where we're sort of behind – in the grocery. So um, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm a Brit. So if you look at what Tesco done, did in England years ago, which was a model that almost no one's really managed to duplicate. They tried to do it in the States and failed with their fresh and easy. Oh. But so you, if you're in a small town, you have a Tesco Express that you can walk to or on your way back from work and you can pick up everything for dinner, limited um, assortment, but really, you know, customized for the area. By the weekend, just like Peter was saying, you then 
take a car or share a car and go out to their huge store and, and load up, right? And, and that's an absolutely common way of doing grocery in England. For almost everybody I know, that's how they shop. Well, that's not how we shop here because the local convenience store that has food is nothing like a Tesco Express. You know, it has sort of one dead lettuce and three old apples and a banana or something. It doesn't, <laughs> we have never done this well. So I don't have that option here in Syracuse at all. I have to go to a supermarket. The Tesco story is, is such an important learning point. Uh, and too often, folks over here just look at the loyalty program aspect of it, the club car that Tesco introduced as part of this, and they say, oh, if we just do that loyalty program thing, we're going to be all set. In fact, a lot of retailers, such as Kroger here in the U.S., brought in the very same firm that, that developed that for, for Tesco. But as Amanda said, it's much more than just a loyalty program. It's having these different formats. It's having the, the ubiquity, that, that, that top of mind. Uh, and, and it's amazing that it hasn't happened here in the U.S., and I think that's why this, this Target initiative, we're going to look back in, uh, years from now and say, why did it take us so long? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just going back on something you said a second ago. I was thinking about when you go into the grocery store these days, the traditional grocery store, the the milk and eggs and all that stuff is always on one wall. Then usually the frozen food is right next to it, and the, the and the produce is on the opposite end of the store. And that's seemingly been a tradition that these stores have have formulated for the last fifty or sixty years. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the idea that there's a way of doing it. This is how we did it when when Grandpa first set the store up all those years ago. Uh, but but technology, nimble competitors, changing consumers. Uh, we need to throw that playbook out, and we're starting to see that. Uh, so then the question is, Amanda, with, with both of these philosophies, obviously there are some pitfalls along the way, but is it your expectation that both Target and Amazon should be successful with both of these ideas? Uh, my expectation is that Target will be successful. Um, I, think they, I, think they have, I think they have the sensibility, and they've learned from what other people have done. Now, I think they will be, they won't be successful, I'm sure, in every single location. But if they think, I think if they stay nimble, they can, they can pull this off. They're the right store to do it. Amazon, I'm not totally sure on. I think it's difficult to tell what their margins are because they're, 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 you know, the income comes from so many different streams. So, so, you know, it's, it's not quite the same as a, a conventional retailer where mm-hmm. you can look at it because they have all these cloud services and everything else and, uh, you know, streaming music and whatever, which is not really Target's business. But um, they certainly have the technological capacity. If they, can, if they can get their supply chain working to make margin, they could be very successful. I couldn't agree more with Amanda. We are so on the same wavelength. Target, big success, going to um, uh, go along on that one. With Amazon... I hate being kind of hedgy and wishy-washy about it, but I, I really think that the jury's out about how this particular initiative will work. But as I said before, it is going to change the way the grocery retailing works. And even if it means that 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 uh, Amazon fails in their own pursuit, it's going to be a wake-up call that we've needed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Great to have you both on the show. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Thanks, yes, Amanda. Indeed. Thank you, Peter. Great to see you again. Sure Thank thing. you, Russ. Uh, Wharton's uh, Peter Fader joining us here uh, in the studio and on the phone. Uh, Amanda Nicholson from Syracuse University joining us here on uh, Sirius XM 111. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.